You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Britain's Labour Party is affected by a ransomware incident, a third-party provider sustained... ANSI identifies a new ransomware affiliate gang, Lokian. Notes on how and why Black Matter and Our Evil went on the lamb. Russo-American talks discussed cybercrime and cybersecurity. Iran's gas stations are fully back in business following the cyber sabotage they sustained. Kevin McGee from Microsoft has highlights from their 2021 digital defense report. Our guest is Offer Ben Noon of Talon Cybersecurity, addressing browser vulnerabilities. And Data Tribe has announced the winners of its fourth annual Cybersecurity Startup Challenge. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, November 4th, 2021. Britain's Labour Party has disclosed that it's been affected by what it characterizes as a data incident. The incident affected labor through a third party that managed data on behalf of the party. The third party, unnamed by labor, notified its client on October 29th that a significant quantity of party data had been rendered inaccessible on their systems. That description suggests a ransomware attack, although the party's statement doesn't characterize it as such. Computing describes the information as having been stolen, but beyond the usual cautions one would expect a ransomware victim to extend to the individuals affected, be alert for social engineering, use multi-factor authentication, and report suspicious activity, the grounds for thinking data were taken are a matter of a priori probability. Data theft has become the norm in ransomware attacks, and it's prudent to assume that it's a possibility here. Labor says it brought in outside expertise and reported the incident to the appropriate authorities, the National Crime Agency, the National Cybersecurity Center, and the Information Commissioner's Office. Investigation is in progress, but Labor says that only its provider's systems were affected, not the party's own data systems. The Labor Party's statement adds, quote, We understand that the data includes information provided to the party by its members, registered and affiliated supporters, and other individuals who have provided their information to the party. The full scope and impact of the incident is being urgently investigated. 
The Guardian reports that this is the second third-party breach labor has sustained over the past year and a half. The party was one of the victims of the Blackbaud compromise. It's also unclear if labor was itself the intended target of the attack. The principal intended victim may have been that unnamed provider of data services. CERT-FR, the French national CERT operated under the direction of ANSI, has identified a new ransomware gang, Lockean, that's recently infested French companies in what CERT-FR characterizes as big game hunting. Lockean is connected with several ransomware-as-a-service operations, including Doppelpamer, Maze, Prolock, Egregor, and Sudinukibi. The investigation began when ANSI took up a series of six Quackbot investigations that began in 2020 and continued into 2021. Four of them shared a common Quackbot naming convention. Five of the attacks involved deployment of Cobalt Strike, and four of those spoofed Akamai and Azure domains. In three of the incidents, the R-Clone exfiltration tool was used. These commonalities led ANSI to believe that the incidents were the work of a single threat actor, and that the signs also seemed consistent with reports by security firms Intrinsec and the DFIR report. Subsequent investigation convinced ANSI that this was so. They've named the threat actor Lockean, and ANSI's full report contains extensive information on the gang's tactics, techniques, and procedures. Lockean appears to be an affiliate, a user of tools provided by other gangs in the C2C underground market. The record points out that Lockean is the second big affiliate gang to be identified. The FBI described another such group, 1%, back in August. More has emerged on the events surrounding R-Evil's announced retirement. The Washington Post reports that U.S. Cyber Command and an unnamed foreign government took action against our evil in a coordinated operation. The foreign government gained access to our evil's servers this summer. In October, Cyber Command hijacked the Russophone gang's traffic, effectively denying access to the group's website. The experience apparently put the fear of Fort Meade into the gang's members, who took the better part of valor and dispersed, scampered, vamoosed, Until they're in custody, of course, there's the possibility that they could reform, either by getting the band back together, by starting fresh, perhaps independently, or by joining another established gang. U.S. Cyber Command is understandably reticent about sharing details, but according to CNN, U.S. Cyber Command head General Nakasone yesterday said his command had for the past three months been engaged in a surge against ransomware operators, General Nakasone said, quote, While I won't comment on specific operations, I will say that we've made a lot of progress. I'm pleased with the progress we've made, and we've got a lot more to do. End quote. ZDNet says the other major gang to recently close up shop, Black Matter, has seen its affiliates migrate to a competitor, Lockbit. Black Matter, itself generally regarded as a rebranding of the dark side, said its decision to shut down was prompted by recent events. ZDNet speculates that those events included not only the action against our evil, but also the Europol-coordinated roundup of 12 high-profile individuals involved in spreading ransomware, including Locker Goga, Metacortex, and Dharma. Reuters has confirmed that this week's high-level Russo-American talks in Moscow touched upon the activities of Russian gangs and privateers. 
U.S. Director of Central Intelligence Burns spoke with SVR Chief Sergei Narishkin. He also talked with Nikolai Pakushov, Secretary to Russia's Security Council and former head of the FSB. Any cooperation between the two countries remains a long-term work in progress, but it will be interesting to watch the aftermath of the conversations. Iran's fuel stations have recovered from the cyber sabotage they sustained more than a week ago, Security Week reports. Tehran's investigation is apparently still in progress. There's been no recent update to informal statements by officials blaming Israel and the United States for the attack. And finally, Data Tribe held its fourth annual cybersecurity startup challenge yesterday, and we're pleased to announce the results. Gray Market Labs, a secure virtual enclave deployment platform, ContraForce, a security orchestration platform, and QuickCode, a data labeling technology for machine learning datasets, were the three finalists, and each came into the finals having already been awarded $20,000. ContraForce and QuickCode were named the winners, each receiving a $2 million investment, double what the competition had originally planned to award. Datatribe is a global cyber foundry based in Maryland. It supports early-stage companies and runs the annual competition, quote, to identify and curate pre-Series A seed high-technology startups with a vision to disrupt cybersecurity and data science, end quote. Full disclosure, the CyberWire is a Datatribe portfolio company. The judges of the competition were Bob Ackerman, founder, Allegis Cyber, co-founder, Datatribe, Shamla Naidu, head of cloud security, Netscope, former global CISO IBM, Naveen Maharaj, director, Coke Disruptive Technologies, Ron Gula, president and co-founder, Gula Tech Adventures and co-founder of Tenable, and Arno Vanderwalt, CISO of Marriott International. It was good to get together for an in-person pitch event after so many months of relative isolation. Those who attended received a special preview of the CyberWire's upcoming miniseries, Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies. Watch for it on our website. Congratulations to all the companies who competed, and especially to the three finalists, Gray Market Labs, ContraForce, QuickCode, and of course, the two winners, ContraForce and QuickCode. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. (laughs) 
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Think about how much of your day-to-day computing experience happens through your browser. As more and more services migrate to the cloud, it's likely you're making use of your browser to access those services. So what about the security of the browser itself? Offer Ben Noon is co-founder and CEO of Talon Cybersecurity. Over the last three years, pretty much uh, the number one vulnerable application in terms of CVE is browser. And the number two most exploited application is the browser. Exploited in the the wild, I mean. So that has led us to the understanding that, A, we need to secure a lot more the browser. And two, it's the best focal point to secure the new uh, distributed and hybrid workforce, which is becoming more and more SaaS-oriented, obviously. Um, So the focus is not only capabilities around protecting the browser, but for example, also capabilities around data leakage prevention and a lot of some capabilities about network monitoring and how do you reduce the chances that uh, employees will browse from the first place to websites that contains vulnerabilities. And by that, obviously, you reduce the chances that the the malware will get compromised and also uh, identifying shadow SaaS where data is uh, then leaking outside of the organization. So while browser security is a very key component of the story, it does not end there. So the scope is a bit bigger. It strikes me that, you know, while folks do have choices when it comes to the browser they want to use, I mean, at their core, there are only a couple of uh, places where, where people build their browsers, and, and it seems to me that most of them these days are, are using Chromium as their source. Well, what is your take on that? I think that part of the reason that uh, Chromium is, is becoming so focal and core is that building a browser is, is a very complex task in terms of the, of the usability, in terms of the user experience, and in terms of the amount of edge cases that, that they need pretty much to be able to resolve. And I think that this type of a consolidation play, which got pretty much its stamp when uh, Microsoft have migrated from Internet Explorer to Edge, was what really made Chromium so popular. Where you have two of the biggest uh, uh, software organizations in the world maintaining uh, one code or one core of a code this brings a unique advantage for Chromium over every other alternative as, as a browser. And so what are your recommendations for organizations looking to secure uh, folks who are using those browsers for so many things? So there, there are a few things here. First one, which is the core of everything, is to make sure that a browser which is not patched to the latest version may not access the critical resources of of the organization. And here it means two things. Uh, The first one 
is to make sure that indeed at every single moment we are tracking what endpoints and specifically in this case what browsers having the access to to the organization resources and then there is everything that is complementary around it uh, which is extensions are we monitoring all of the extensions of the browser so even if the browser is not at all compromised but a malware extension is is on the browser and only a couple of months ago there were tens of millions of instances of a malware extension over Chrome, that's a big thing, obviously. Uh, and the third layer would be the added security that you can implement on top of the browser. Now, this comes in multiple flavors. The first one would be to make sure that we indeed control to which websites, hopefully not uh, malware websites, our employees are able to access. That also helps in terms of reducing the amount of potential phishing that they are going to be exposed to, the amount of drive-by download uh, attacks that they will be exposed to. And the first layer is really protecting the browser itself. That's Offer Ben Noon from Talon Cybersecurity. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Kevin McGee. He is the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada, uh, Kevin, you and your colleagues recently released the 2021 version of your digital defense report, and a lot of interesting stuff in there. I wanted to check in with you and, and see what some of the highlights for you were in the new report. Thanks for having me back, Dave. I'm really pleased to be here again. Um, this year's report's our second uh, report. It's 128 pages, so it's not a, a light read, but it's, it's um, chock full of uh, details. Um, really covers five major focus areas. The state of cybercrime, nation-state threats, uh, supply chain and IoT security, uh, hybrid workforce, and then uh, disinformation. This is really not uh, a report that sort of you you really have to be a deep technical person to read, even though there is quite a bit of technical details in there. In fact, it's really an important that I'm recommending you give to your CEO, your CFO, or your board, because it does a great job of providing a lot of technical depth and detail, but with context and visual diagrams and whatnot that can really help explain some of the, the major threats we're facing to these business decision makers. Well, what are some of the actual highlights for you? I mean, are there, are there any things that stood out for you as, as really deserving attention? I think one of um, 
the the neat things was just the the numbers initially from the Microsoft perspective. We're we're basing this report on 24 trillion security signals. That's up from 8 trillion we saw last year. So we're seeing exponential growth in the number of security signals uh, for data points we're able to pull from. Uh, 9 billion blocked endpoint threats, uh, 31 billion identity threats, 32 billion email threats. The the numbers are, are pretty mind-boggling. So it, yeah, it starts pretty soon to, you're talking about real numbers, right? Yeah, it starts to bring out incredible <laughs> uh, patterns that we may not have been able to see before. So I guess the, uh, the two major um, things that really jumped out at me was, one, just how cybercrime is now uh, becoming a national security threat. And we're not just seeing that in the data and in the, the TTP threat actors are using, but we're also seeing that move into our user discussions and also policy discussions uh, across the, the globe as well. And then also, uh, from a technical perspective, uh, attacks on machine learning um, models were, were of really interest to me. And it's an, an area that I don't have a lot of background in, but is becoming a, an, a, an emerging threat vector for, uh, for attackers to leverage. Well, let's dig into the both of those one at a time because I, I think uh, they, they are both interesting and worthy of discussion. And when it comes to national security, I'm curious, you know, the conversations that you're having with the folks you speak to, is there a growing expectation that the nations themselves step up and do more to defend organizations here or even, I don't know, moving towards more partnership on that realm? I think so. I mean, we've moved well beyond the point where criminal gangs are just doing, you know, virtual smash and grabs. And we're starting to see coordinated attacks. We're starting to see an emerging almost um, cybercrime industrial complex where there's, uh, you know, integrated supply chain specializations and whatnot. So organized cybercrime in itself is is becoming a major problem. Um, but a lot of the the attacks are based on critical infrastructure, hospitals, um, power grids and whatnot. It's not just a businesses that are being attacked. And we're also seeing the overlap more and more with uh, cyber criminal gangs and and potential nation state actors using cybercrime techniques or proxies uh, for attacks as well. I think we started to see in the, the policy documents for governments this idea of persistent engagement or, you know, um, defend forward, start to prop up the last couple of years. Um, it was quietly inserted into some of these um, strategic documents. More and more, we're having an open discussion now that this is, uh, this is cybercrime. It's not just a, a financial crime. It is a potential national security threat. And I'm very pleased to see that we're having more policy discussions or more open discussions about it at that level. Let's talk about uh, what you mentioned there about attacks on machine learning. What what exactly is going on there? Yeah, this is uh, an area where I was really interested in, in reading because it was something I really didn't know uh, quite a bit about and had a chance to reach out to my uh, colleagues in the, the data side of the house as well. Uh, we've identified four major attacks on machine learning models. Uh, one is the invasion attack, which um, think about causing a, a misclassification um, of data. For example, if you had a, a self-driving car and, and you turned a stop sign into something different so that it was confused, that would be an, uh, an example of an invasion attack. Uh, a poisoning attack can be an attack that contaminates the training phase of the machine learning learning. So you can actually uh, insert something into the model as it's being developed to get the answer that you want as the attacker to come out the other end for whatever reason. 
then there's a membership inference. So uh, as part of the machine learning, uh, it ingests a lot of data. As it's learning, um, uh, an attacker could tease out information like an individual's health information or whatnot out of the model and extract that from the model. Or flat-out model stealing. Uh, we see um, attackers now looking at uh, stealing the, the proprietary algorithms, which may be for day trading or whatnot as well. And these algorithms have intellectual property value. So that's another attack vector. All right. Well, Kevin McGee from Microsoft. The report is the 2021 Digital Defense Report. Thanks so much for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Pelston, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.